Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I've got an exciting paper for you about listening to your brain. Whoa, like mind reading? Yeah, but like mind listening more. Okay. <laughs> it sounds very, a little scary. It is. But I always say that. I'm your other host, Charlie. I've obviously not read this paper, so I'm going to be asking James a lot of questions. We're both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the Paper Boys. Okay, James, you're going to have to explain this to me. You corrected me when I said mind reading, and you said it's actually mind listening. Can you clarify that for me? Yeah, so I mean, semantics aside, this paper is literally about listening to your brain. They're reading the neural signals, so the different electrical activity in your brain, and actually translating that into speech you can actually understand. It's really weird. Wait, are, really? Yeah. So imagine you have a person, and like right now, I'm talking to you. And when I speak to you, little signals are going off in your brain, like in your auditory cortex, the auditory region of your brain. Yeah. So they're measuring those signals in the auditory region and reconstructing the speech. Wait, so they could measure what was happening in my brain and then take you out of the room and play back those signals through speakers and it would sound like what you said to me? Yes. Okay, that is crazy. Crazy, right? That is really crazy. Yeah. And so... And it, this actually works? Well, you'll find out. Oh, okay. I have some audio clips for you and the listeners. Um, but oh, good. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this paper, I'd just like to give a big shout out to Anna Kessler. Anna, I hope I said your last name right. Um, Anna's a psychology postgrad student in Vienna who recommended this paper to us after seeing it in Science Daily, sciencedaily.com. So thank you very much for the recommendation, Anna. Hopefully we live up to your expectations. I know. I hope we do this a little bit of justice. Hopefully she's not an expert in this field and is going to cringe at everything we say. I know. So much pressure. But uh, worst case, we'll just donate our brains to science later. <laughs> yeah, and then they'll reconstruct all your thoughts. Ugh. Uh, so this was an article in uh, Science Daily. You said, what was that? What was the story? So the title of the story was Engineers Translate Brain Signals Directly Into Speech. Pretty, uh, pretty matter of fact. Okay. It's about what I would expect from a publication called Science Daily. Yep. And so they linked to the article, talked about some of the technology. And as a dutiful paper boy, I found the original article and read it. Congratulations, James. What, what's the original paper? Thank you. Thank you. So the original paper is called Towards Reconstructing Intelligible Speech from the Human Auditory Cortex. It's coming out of the Electrical Engineering Department at Columbia University in partnership with the Feynman Institute for Medical Research and a few other organizations. Um, the primary author is Hassan Akbari, and I think his advisor is Nima Mezgarani. Okay. A couple other authors in there. Worth checking out. And this was published in Nature's Scientific Reports just a couple days ago, actually, end of January 2019. Okay, cool. Nice recent paper. Yep. So the title of the paper was about uh, reconstructing speech from the auditory cortex. What, is, what does that mean? What is this really about? So it's sort of like we were talking about earlier. 
When you have external stimuli on your brain, it activates signals on your brain. And at the base of our brains and how they operate, it's just some deterministic system. You know, if you give it endpoint A, you should get output B every single time. Okay. Every time you speak to me and you say the word, hi, I'm Charlie, I hear it as hi, I'm Charlie every single time. Oh, I see. So the things that you would see on like a scan of your brain are consistent for those words because those are actually what's producing the fundamental understanding of the words. Yeah, you would think so. Because we have repeatable understanding if we see things multiple times. Okay. You know, there are a lot of elements in that, like the tone of your voice and things like that. But, you know, more or less, I will hear it the exact same way every single time. And so these researchers, building off a lot of previous research, thought, why don't we try measuring the signals when we provide an auditory stimulation and see if we can't reconstruct it. Okay. Sounds like you'd have to do a lot of data crunching for this. There is a lot of data crunching involved. Okay. Yeah. And we'll get into that. That's actually the, the core of this paper is the methods that they use. Oh, really? Papers in the past have tried to do similar things and they've come up with good objective measurements. It's a little non-intuitive. They used math to show that their reconstructed signal matched the original one, but it lacked this subjective understanding. Like, if you played it to a human being, it was hard for them to evaluate what it meant. Oh, I see. So that's what's actually cool about this is they reconstruct the signal so well that you can actually do a subjective evaluation. Have people listen to the reconstructed signal and say like, oh, that sounds good or bad, or like, I know what that is. That sounds like a woman or a man speaking. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to ask the question like, oh, and did it work? And I know you're going to tell me. Well, you're not going to tell me yet. So the answer, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I am going to let you be the judge because that's what they did for their participants. Oh, you mean you're going to actually show me the sounds? Yeah. So I have the audio clips. They're just posted on nature.com so anyone can access them. But yeah, we'll let you judge and see how subjectively well they did. Will it be a test? Like, you know what they're saying and I have to tell and I have to try to guess what it said? Yes. Okay, all right, stick around to the end of the episode, see how badly I fail. (laughs) (laughs) Or how well they succeed. Or how well they succeed. Yeah. So, wait, backing up a second, why do they, what's their motivation here? Why do they actually want to be able to do this? I mean, I can kind of understand that it's a cool idea, but is there some particular application they're going for? Yeah, so they are going for a little more than just a neat party trick where you open up your brain and recreate (laughs) audio signals. The big goal with this is that you could come up with auditory brain-computer interfaces. So brain-computer interfaces that could help people who have issues with hearing or speech. The idea being, if you can't speak anymore, there's this condition called locked-in syndrome. Maybe we could recreate people's speech just by measuring their brain patterns. Sorry, is it locked-in syndrome meaning that it's a person who has lost the ability to speak? Yeah, so locked-in syndrome, it's usually a condition that results from a stroke. And basically, like, your whole face is paralyzed and usually you can't speak or really communicate anymore, but you're still fully conscious. Oh man, that sounds horrible. Yeah, so you can imagine something, even if it's not super accurate, anything that would give you the ability to communicate with other people would be a huge improvement in quality of life. Yeah, wow. Okay, so I'm on board then. That sounds like a great application. You don't even need to tell me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, okay. And then there's one further goal where this fits into the broader research. And I just bring it up because I think it's really cool. We still don't know how individual neurons firing give rise to complex motor behavior or functional behavior, like listening and understanding and things like that. 
And so this fits into that broader effort of trying to understand, like, how do you go from individual neurons to, like, processing the emotions in someone's voice or okay things like that. So the application is intelligible speech reproduction, but the method behind it is kind of something they're hoping could be applied for a much broader understanding of the brain. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's similar work that looks at trying to recreate the images that people see. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, I just have a short clip here from some research at UC Berkeley. The images are pretty crazy. Wait, so, so these researchers are doing the same technique, but it's just someone's watching a video, and then they measure the brain activity and then try to recreate the video. Yeah, roughly the same techniques. They're using fMRI. You know, there's differences, but okay, broadly the same idea. First, we put people in the magnet for several hours, and we show them movies, and we build a model of their brain. And then in the second part, we put them back in the magnet, we show them new movies, and we measure their brain activity, and we decode their brain activity in order to reconstruct the movie. So on the left here is the movie we actually showed people, and on the right is our reconstruction. When the movie that we showed has a fairly common object like a person, our reconstructions are actually fairly accurate. But when the movie that we showed is something rarer, as you'll see in a second, like this abstract thing, then our reconstructions are coarser. Wow, that was crazy. The one you could really clearly see, like when it was watching a face on the movie, it came out very starkly on the video that they were showing. Yeah, it's pretty insane, isn't it? I mean, you could see a human. Obviously, there were problems with it, but it's a big step. Yeah, and seeing sort of the low fidelity of the reconstruction in this case is starting to at least give me, you know, an expectation for what this is going to sound like in this new study. Yes. Yeah, sets your expectations. All right, you mentioned their method, though, was a little bit different, that they used fMRI. Is that not what Hassan Akbari did in the auditory study? Yeah, that's correct. So for the auditory study, they actually used what's called electrocorticography, or more commonly known as ECOG. Okay. So they were working with patients who have epilepsy and who were already going through brain surgery, essentially, to handle their epilepsy. This is actually pretty common. It's a common surgery, and epilepsy patients often volunteer to help out with research. Since they already have part of their skull open, they put this grid of electrodes on top of their brain. Whoa. And you can measure with pretty good time and spatial resolution different neurons firing. And do they just do these measurements during the operation, or do they put an electrode down and then leave it there for like a year and do some studies? It's definitely not a year. It's maybe over like a week to two weeks while they're in the hospital. Okay. So they have it on there, and it's like somewhat invasive. They have to pull off the, the dura. That's the protective lining of the brain. Okay. So they take off the skull, then they open up the dura, and they place this on the brain, and then it's there for like two weeks so they can actually run a couple studies. Okay. That's cool. I mean, pretty good, great. For, good for those people for volunteering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a big move. Yeah. So they had the opportunity to work with like five different patients, and so they did a couple different couple different measurement routines. They started by calibrating their model using um, a specific stimulus. So they had these continuous samplings from different voice actors and actresses. It was about 30 minutes long. And it just had them reading different stories. So you can imagine the patients are listening to this audio, pre-recorded audio, and the researchers are measuring their brain signals as okay. they listen. So they're just sitting there like listening to a podcast or something. Yeah, they could have been listening to Paper Boys. Paper all Boys, all right. It's possible. And so, you know, this is about 30 minutes long. So they're collecting a lot of data over this period. And they're using this to build their model. 
The researchers essentially wanted to figure out what model is best. So they built four different ones, but I'll talk about that in a sec. Okay, but so what you're saying is that this calibration is to take known input, goes through the brain, turns into some output, and then they just have to reconstruct kind of what happened between the input and the output. Yes. Okay. And this is the calibration because they're doing a huge amount of data that kind of tunes it all, that'll get it all tweaked in the right way that you're able to produce what came in. Yeah. They generate this metric and you can basically tweak some parameters that you come up with the least amount of error between the reconstructed signal and the original. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so then now they have a model, they've calibrated it, or training is the term with neural networks. Oh, this is this is a neural network. It's like, it kind of feels like neural network inception. We're yeah, because about, it's the brain. <laughs> it's the brain. And then there's another computational neural network that they're using to build the model. Yeah, it's a neural neural network. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. So they've trained and calibrated this neural neural network. And now they actually do their test samples. So for the, the patients with epilepsy who have these brain monitors on, they have them listen to two different sets of data. In one set of data, they listen to digits. So a, a man and a woman just tell them digits, like one, two, eight, seven. <laughs> Sounds riveting. So, yeah, fascinating. <laughs> and then they measure the neural signals and reconstruct it. And then the part after that is they have them listen to eight different sentences. Okay, wait, sorry. To clarify, this part is now like a test to see if their model actually works. Yeah. Okay, so the calibration part was with the long speech. Now they're saying, let's put in these digit inputs and see if our model spits out those digits. Yes. Okay. Yep. So they're okay. testing it now. And this is audio that the model hasn't heard before. Yep. Okay. So they hadn't previously played these audio samples to the patients. Okay. And then is the output of this part, the digits and the eight sentences, that's the ones that they're then going to get this subjective measure of quality on, like you were talking about before? Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. So I just need to contextualize this a little bit. No, no, no. That's it. That's exactly right. All right. So they have this output that came from spitting in digits or one of these eight sentences. How do they then take what's coming from their model and turn it into actual speech that they can play on a speaker? It's a really good question because it it's like non-intuitive, right? You're going from neural signals to like speech. Yeah. I mean, I assume that they don't have like a vocal cords and compressed air can <laughs> and something to contract the vocal cords, you know? Yeah. No, unfortunately not. That would have been really cool though. Yeah. Oh. Really freaky. Yeah. Ooh. Like that creepy little robot. Yeah. Like, that looks and smiles at you and Yes. <laughs> Ooh. I'm glad they did not do that. Otherwise I would not have read this paper. <laughs> so they tested two different methods to see which one works best. One is a method that essentially recreates the frequency spectrum of your ear. So it uses different filters and does this logarithmic scale with it, but it's essentially a way to take those numbers that the model outputs and assign them to different frequencies and reconstruct an audio signal. Okay, that sounds I, very complicated. Yeah, I think it has some basis in human hearing. I don't know a ton about it, but that's one way. And then the other way is using what's called a vocoder. Okay. Which, sound, which stands for vocal encoder decoder. Okay. These actually have a really fascinating history that I don't have time to get into. They were developed in World War II, though, for some like nefarious purposes. But okay. then the 60s came around and people started using them for music. Okay, way better. Way better. And I Is just it... to give you a taste of how cool these are, I brought in a clip. Oh, yes. Another clip. All right. 
from the band Kraftwerk. This is We Are Robots. And in this song, they're going to be using a vocoder? Yes. That is what you hear when you hear their voice. Okay. We are the robots. This is great. I want to listen to this <laughs> I mean, on loop. Music's changed a lot since this era. Honestly, it hasn't changed that much. <laughs> it's what, true. When is this from? I think the 60s. It's pretty funky, right? I'm sure you intended for this to be a five-second uh, tangent, but I want to listen to the rest of this song. <laughs> Bear with us. Bear with us, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, if that song is not stuck in your head for the next week after listening to this, then you are a robot. <laughs> yeah, you're not human. Okay, I'm very you glad just you just found a good in. way to pass the minimal Turing test. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Previous, in a previous episode. Okay, but, so a vocoder takes what? I, I get that they used it in this song, but how does it, what does it do? It basically, it takes in a lot of different parameters that are still difficult for me to articulate because I don't fully understand it, but you can basically take your voice and digitize it and it digitizes different parameters so that you can create fake voices it turns out it's really hard to do like these vocoders from like the 60s used to be like huge cabinets oh okay but now siri and alexa use them all the time oh so that's how they go from a line of code that says uh i'm sorry dave i can't do that (laughs) to actually play that over the speaker yeah yeah hopefully they have something programmed in alexa to never let her say that though (laughs) Well, just wait until 2001. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so they tested two ways. And they tested a few different models, like I mentioned before. And essentially what they found from both doing the subjective tests and objective tests, they did some mathematical correlations to figure out which of their models and audio outputs worked the, worked the best. Like, you mean what you said before about comparing, like, finding the error in the output compared to what went in? Yep. Okay. Basically. And they found that the best way was using a, it's called a deep neural network together with a vocoder. They had the best results. Okay. So now the combination of those two things is the deep neural network is what calibrates the model to the correct settings. And then the vocoder is what turns the model output into speech that you, the human could understand. Yes. Okay. Yep. And just in time too, because uh, Charlie... We've reached your testing point. Oh, no. I'm nervous, man. Yes. I do this podcast to get away from tests, and now you're now you're testing me, man. I know. School, school's never out, man. Uh, school's okay. never out. All right. So first off, we're going to have you listen to the digits. This is the linear regression model with that like auditory spectrum method. So this is the worst one. Oh, so we're going to listen to different outputs of the different combinations of model and vocoder stuff. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll play you the samples going from progressively worse to better. Okay. So we're starting, how many combinations are there? I'm just going to play you two. So we'll start with the worst, then I'll give you the one that did the best, and then I'll tell you what the real thing is. Okay. All right. So here's the worst one. Okay, I could definitely hear the first two were zero, one, and then after that I started to just infer that it was a woman counting up from zero to nine. And then I definitely heard seven, almost heard an eight, 
and then the last one was also a nine. But I think okay. that was a woman counting up from zero to nine. That was good. Yes. Yes. yes? Yeah. But now let's listen to the next one. Like, you know, you had some intuition that it was counting. I told you it was digits. Yeah. And then also because they didn't do a random sequence, it was kind of easier to be like, oh, well, I'm expecting to hear an eight now. And so hearing that weird thing that maybe had a hard consonant at the end, I was like, I guess that was an eight. Yeah. And I can show you, I can show you in the paper, like they actually did do it randomly. So people didn't know if it was a man or a woman and they had to guess man, woman and what the digit was. Okay. And was I right though? Was that a woman? Yeah. All right. That was it. So let's listen to the next one. All right. So now this is the better version. Yeah. So this is the deep neural network with the vocoder. Okay. Whoa. It sounds like a Daft Punk song. Doesn't it? Yeah. It also sounded like they said three twice. The two, hey. was, the two was very hard to understand. It's hard to... They're robots, man. <laughs> They'll get there one day. They'll get there someday. But the speech, what did you think? I mean, that was way easier to understand. And like less terrifying sounding. <laughs> like I can't think of a good word to describe. But the first one was pretty unsettling. It had a little more of like a human timbre to it, if you will. The second one? Yeah. And also like the first one was kind of... It was like a ghost trying to talk to me or something. It just felt creepy, whereas this one felt more familiar. Yeah, in a still creepy robotic I guess, way. <laughs> yeah, but like in a way, you know, maybe that's because they use vocoders in music, and so that's why I'm more familiar with the sound that a vocoder might produce. But Yeah, it's, it could be at home at any electronic dance music festival, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so next is continuous speech. This is the worst one. And this is the, the bad one again? Yep. Okay. Whoa. That, yeah. So doesn't it sound like the way that they would process something like for a horror movie? Yeah, it feels like the ring in yes. digital mode or something. Yeah, it's like really that. freaky. Although, I could, I mean, you can definitely tell that it's speech. It has like the right cadence and the right kind There's of feeling to it. it. Yeah. 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 And I could almost make out like a part of the sentence at the end, something like, I could feel myself something. Okay. I'm not going to say anything. All right. I'm not going to say anything. Should we listen to the good one now? Listen to the good one. All right. And this is the same sentence. Same sentence. And then we'll play the reference. Okay. When I took this job as head of loud security, I knew that I could only rely on myself. Okay. I knew that I could only rely on myself. And I think I kind of picked that up in the first one too. Okay. But it was way more clear in the second one. I did not get the first part of the sentence on either of them, though. You could hear myself very clearly, though, in the last one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, you I could pretty rely. clearly hear, I knew that I could rely on myself. Yeah. Or I'm, am I going to be eating my words as soon as you play the reference? Let's listen to the reference. When I took this job as head of ranch security, I knew that I could only rely on myself. Okay. So you got the end part, yeah. But I never would have known when I took this job as ranch security. Yeah, that was totally I, I could not get that, yeah. So you can see, that's why I wanted to let you listen. Because success has many different flavors. And I think this paper illustrates that. So did they test that on a bunch of subjects? So they played these audio samples the same way we just did. A little more thoroughly, obviously, for 11 different participants. And they had the participants judge the intelligibility of the digit and the quality of the speech and then whether it was male or female and then 
they're able to compare the four different models combinations that they came up with. And essentially they found that the deep neural network plus vocoder system worked the best. Okay. I mean, I think that after listening to those, at least the two side by side, we would agree, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's garbled, but it's pretty fascinating that from just measuring neurons firing, you can come up with that. Yeah, it's pretty damn close. Like, it sounds more like I actually kind of forgot that we were listening to something that was recreated from brain activity. I was thinking like, oh, they're trying to just write a program that can speak intelligibly. Yes, that there's something like organic at the other end that created that. Right. It's It's pretty pretty amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they came up with a new method for doing this. And this is the first time I believe that they've done a subjective evaluation of audio that's been recreated, uh, reconstructed from brain signals. So... It's a big step forward. Yeah, and honestly, like that was intelligible enough that even if you put that on someone with locked-in syndrome today, like it would be at least good enough to have like to to for them to communicate something. You know, even if they had to try two or three times each time they wanted to say a sentence, it's better than not being able to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And the quality that it is right now sounds like it's only a couple of years away from being very well reproducing. For a first cut, it's really good. Like right. you're saying. And, you know, it opens up a lot of ways to expand on previous research, like imagining speech and generating it. Oh, so like not reconstructing from what you've heard. Yes. But just, I think a thought and then a speaker plays it. Yeah. Whoa. Which would be pretty crazy. That would be really cool. I mean, it's only a matter of time before someone does it. So I can't wait to see that paper. Yeah. Hopefully talk about it on Paper Boys. Oh, yeah. You know, in in 10 years when we're still doing this episode... 700 and (laughs) i remember as a young paper boy (laughs) so that's the paper i think it was a great recommendation so thank you very much anna i had a lot of fun reading it yeah thanks anna for for emailing us i'm wondering the i mean so the news article that she sent was that science daily one was the paper pretty in line with what you expected based on that article yeah the way that the article presented it i thought was very fair they had obviously read the paper and they actually talked with the researchers. So they talked about the work in a fair light um, okay. that wasn't too exaggerated. So what you're saying is that Anna didn't need us at all. We, we didn't debunk anything. She could have just read the article and never sent it to us. She would have had no idea how you fared listening to the subjective That's test, true. Though. That's true. Well, um, you're welcome, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I think is um, important, though, is like, you know, People are talking a lot about brain-computer interfaces. Elon Musk has his new company, Neuraldust, I think. Oh, Neuralink. Neuraldust is a, is a research project out of Berkeley. That's pretty cool. It's okay. like these little dust samples okay. that go in your brain. But okay. that I'm, sure I'm sure they're collaborating. I'm sure they're collaborating. And like I was listening to the Joe Rogan experience recently, and they were talking about how like brain-computer interfaces are like improving human in- performance and all this stuff. And there's sort of a disconnect with what people think the state of the art is achieving and what it's actually doing in a research context. Right. Like you can imagine this work was like done in a very constrained space in a hospital. And it's like, you can't say that people are giving full 30 minute speeches just by thinking and using their audio brain and computer interface. So we're pretty far from, and like doing it in real time and all that. Yeah. So still a long way to go, but, um, but the concept is sort of proven good prototype work. Yeah. But it's hard. The next step is really hard getting yeah. to that step so we're like trl3 right now <laughs> it's technology readiness level for those of you <laughs> who aren't 
big NASA nerds like us. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, this was like an incredible piece of research that you brought on here. I, I especially like it because it's lots of audio clips. Yeah. I mean, we got to listen to Kraftwerk. Yes. How much better does it get? We'll be putting links to all these great audio clips onto the website, paperboyspodcast.com. Maybe we'll even embed the Kraftwerk music video. So you can just listen to it on repeat all day uh-huh. if you want. Yes, definitely go check out the article on our site. Also, if you're listening to the sound of our voices right now, we would love it if you sent us a tweet and just told us where you're listening from. Like, hey, Paper Boys, I'm listening to your Brain Sounds episode on the bus. You know, it just it like absolutely makes our week when we know when we hear from people listening to the show and kind of where they're at. Shout out to the last person to tweet at us where they're listening from, Carrie Clifton down in Jacksonville, Florida. Hope you're enjoying the show. Also, we have new shirts out. So if you want any Paper Boys merch, check it out. And the link's on the website. And we hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.